Chase Thomas podcast. The Chase Thomas podcast. Um, my nephew needs me to record. See, I hate. I already hate it. I hate it. All right, hello, and welcome back to the bonus episode of the Chase Thomas podcast, where I am still the aforementioned Chase Thomas, and I am joined by someone who is way more popular than myself in in North Knoxville. Oh yeah, I see your signs everywhere. I see them all over my neighborhood, everywhere. It's very cool to have you here tonight, Lauren. Lauren Ryder, City Council District 4 is here. Lauren, good evening. How are you? Yeah, nice to meet you. And uh, I'm going to have to listen to some of your podcasts, so I will be more knowledgeable about football and mm. sports. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope that's the case. I mean, that's the that's the thing. But I also like to branch out. I, I um, Sports is my primary focus, but... Um, I don't know. I think human beings are more more complicated than that. And I, I like spending a lot of my non-sports time diving into politics, especially local politics and the news and different things like that. And this race is fascinating to me because, Lauren, I moved here for school a year ago um, and I just I see a lot of signs. And then there's a person who shall remain nameless also <laughs> in my neighborhoods as I'm running through things. And I was just curious because I, I wanted to get to, to know you in like this area and things like that. So I thought, you know, what if I just talked to Lauren herself. I also still am I'm 30 years old uh, in the interest of full disclosure, Lauren, and it's still uncomfortable for me to just refer to you as Lauren instead of Miss Mrs. Ryder. And, oh no, uh, that's my mother-in-law. So <laughs> call me call me Lauren. And I think it's really weird. I mm-hmm. mean, obviously it's not really weird, but you know, if you were like Councilwoman Ryder, Councilwoman yeah. Ryder. I have I have very close friends that call me that. In seriousness and in jest. So okay. it's very funny. And then I have a friend, his son would always call me, um, well, when I was running the first time in 2017, it was Lauren Ryder City Council. So um, they, that's like the joke in their family is to call me Lauren Ryder City Council. <laughs> so it's just, you know, whatever. Lauren is totally comfortable. How are things and, going going right now for you as a city councilwoman during a pandemic? Oh gosh, that's a, that's a big question. Well, I will just say there's, um, there's being on city council and then there's being on city council during a pandemic. And then there's being on city council while you're running for reelection, which is its own special experience. Um, a pandemic. So first off, I'd just like to say how much I love that you want to talk about local politics and not try just to talk about national politics, because Mm -hmm. I think a lot of people are like, local politics don't matter to me, and they don't matter to them until something happens um, that really touches your life. But the fact is, is that local politics is really what you what does touch your life almost every day. Mm -hmm. Um, In a lot of ways, it's way more impactful um, then, then the national politics is not as tangible. Um, it's not something you can change local a little bit more, except local is not quite as sexy as some of the national topics and the state topics, because we're not doing as polarizing, um, sometimes the topics, but, um, COVID and the pandemic, um, you know, Right now, everybody's upset. And I will say when I go out and talk to voters, um, because I'm campaigning right now, I'm going out and talking to doors and making sure everybody knows the election's happening, because not every neighborhood is as blanketed with signs as uh, the immediate one. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people are somehow unaware that the election's happening because it's local and they don't pay as much attention. 
But when you go knock on doors and you'll be like, hey, do you want to talk about, you know, city issues, which is your police, your fire, your paving, your traffic, speeding, traffic management, parks and rec, uh, brush pickup, trash pickup, all those things. They're like, you know, really, I can't stop thinking about um, the pandemic. And as a city council person, it's like, well, we don't have um, really much to do with that Mm -hmm. um, because the health department is under the county here. Um, so that's one thing for people to know is the way that the government works here is there's layers of government. There's city government, there's county government, and obviously state and federal. And people will say, well, this is what really matters to me. And I'll be like, well, that's a county issue mm-hmm. um, because we don't we don't put funding into it. We don't get a vote or a voice on it. Um, and, and those are the ways, you know, that we get to dictate policy is, you know, by voting on changes to ordinances that govern things or, um, the funding of things. And, um, so the pandemic is basically, you know, hospitals and healthcare and how it's paid for, um, and, and the health department, uh, and what's going on in schools and the city doesn't have, that's not our purview. And so most of the time when I knock on doors, I'm talking to like people who are really worried about getting sick um, particularly people who are older, obviously, cause it's been more of a threat to them until recently Delta variants a little different. And, um, and then people with kids under 12, those people are really impacted because, you know, their kids weren't getting it last year when they were in school with masks on. Um, and I hate to get, I, I hate it that this is such a political issue. Um, my kids are 12 and 14 and they're vaccinated. And so, Things are going okay in my personal household because we're all vaccinated. But um, all these families I'm surrounded by and families whose doors I'm knocking on, their kids are all getting COVID. And um, it's very stressful for them. And so they don't want to talk about all these other issues that are really important. Mm-hmm. And that this election, our election, you know, has a, has a touch. We can touch and we can impact. Um, they're just like so stressed out about, about the pandemic that that's all they are worried about. Now, some people you knock on their doors, if they don't have school age children under 12, it's not as in their, you know, perimeter or their purview. Um, And I think some people, I don't know, they subscribe to the fact that the pandemic just isn't a threat to them. It's not an issue or they already had COVID. And so they're not worried about it. Um, But it's it's really um, it's really the number one topic on people's mind. And so it's hard to get them to talk about, you know greenways and sidewalks and parks and improvements in the community when they're really worried about these other, these other things that um, are crazy um, and that are going on. And I'll just preface it by saying, you know, my husband works in the healthcare field. And so people getting COVID or getting sick or dying before a test gets administered at the hospital, that's his every day. And um, so it's a very sad time. And, uh, you know, and, and from the city side of things, like I had a voter ask me tonight at a door um, if the city would force city employees to get vaccinated, because that's one of the big topics. Everybody wants to argue over whether, you know, the employer or the government should force people to get vaccinated. And I just told him, I said, well, right now the city is not doing that, but they've offered incentives to employees to get vaccinated. Um, they did it early on and then people still chose not to. And then they. I think there's a conversation going on about doing it again. Uh, I, I really don't know 
Um, honestly, I hate to say that I hadn't, I don't remember what status we're in with that, with the city. But what I will say is, you know, the city, 75% of the city budget is employees and benefits. Mm-hmm. And the city is self-insured for health insurance um, because we're a big employer and that has been more cost effective um, to be self-insured versus like, you know, um, using, um, what was I going to say? Uh, Blue Cross Blue Shield or United, uh, you know, farming it out, outsourcing it. Um, but when people have chosen not to um, not to get vaccinated, um, they uh, we've had many city employees there getting hospitalized, and because the city is self insured, that has become very expensive, um, and and it does impact the taxpayer. So it's um, a really concerning time. And very stressful, and it's the foremost thing on people's mind. So it's a long answer, probably. Yeah, and I, I imagine it's frustrating for you to not be able to give these people the answers that they're looking at you wanting, right? Yeah, no, I mean, that's the whole... So the reason I ran in the first place mm-hmm. is because I got involved in helping people in my community and working on issues that you see outside your front door. Initially, it was traffic calming. And then there were some zoning issues that came up because that's actually a big part of city council's work is zoning and what gets built where. And um, so when you when you come to being in a, an, an elected office because you want to serve your community and do the best for your community and you see this uncontrollable situation that you can't have an impact on and you don't have a voice in and you can't fund, <laughs> it is very frustrating. And... Uh, you know, my neighborhood, my kids are 12 and 14. So my kids are some of the older kids in the neighborhood. A lot of my friends, um, my immediate people I'm surrounded by in my community have kids that can't get vaccinated. It's not a choice that they can make with the, with the vaccine not being approved for their kids. And they keep asking me what I can do. And I'm like, I can't, I can't do anything. There's nothing I can help you with on that. And so, yeah, it's pretty, it's the hottest issue right now, but there's nothing I can do about it. The so hardest, it's incredibly frustrating. Yeah. I, that, cause you, you're going to be honest. Like you're not going to like, this is the other part of the local politics. It's just like, you want to, you see it, you see it up close, you see it in person and you see the struggle and you see the, the frustration and you have to be completely transparent and honest. And it's just, unfortunately with that comes frustration on their end. And it's just, um, sometimes that's just how this how this seems to work um the hardest part of your role um as a city councilwoman is what uh for me personally i'm kind of a pleaser so going back to the same thing we were just talking about i like to be able to solve problems for people so if for some reason i can't get you know something mediated out it's pretty frustrating um i will say So what most people don't know about city council is that, you know, the mayor is in control of the budget. We vote on it and we can vote on things and turn them down or, or, you know, approve them, but we can also turn them down um, in a line item way when, when they actually come to get voted on when it's time to spend them. And, Okay, so here's my honest answer. The most frustrating thing is the mayor and all of her staff 
which there's a lot of great people in the city. There's a lot of great people there. There's a lot of people who really want to do the best they can um, with a lot of limited resources. Mm -hmm. But the most frustrated thing is there it's a full-time job for all of them. And we're part-time. And sometimes we're the, we're, we're people think that we, that council members know about things, but sometimes we don't know about it till it's pretty, pretty far in the planning stages. And even though, you know, so you have to work really hard to have lines of communications with um, staff members at the city, um, with maybe people they've contracted out to, um, so that you make sure it's not about me knowing just because I want to know and feel important. It's because if you include the council member who's been talking to the neighborhood or the community members on the front end of a project, then you won't waste money and have to redesign something or retool a program or backtrack. If I can say, Hey, on the front end, can we make sure that, that this happens? Um, or I know the community wanted, you know, this, um, and, and sometimes you get a better project if the council member is included at the front end. And, and I don't think it's intentional on city staff's part. It's just sometimes the nature of the beast uh, because like when I first became a council member, um, so now I'm working with the second mayor that I've been on council with. I came in during the sixth year or, or year seven and eight for a mayor that had already been there for six years. Well, she'd made her plans like her big vision. Like, what do you want, you know, your eight years to look like. And so you come in and it's like, well, we already have a template for what projects are going to happen and what the priorities are. And so it's really hard to start changing things and impacting things when they're at the tail end of their eight year plan. And so one of my comments is, you know, I came here to work. I'm not here just for fun. Mm -hmm. And I, I, you know, I'm not here to be self-important. I'm here to make an impact for my community and try and get the best results for my community. And so that is my very probably overly honest answer. What are the frustrating things? Um, so now I'm on the front end of a new mayor who, you know, because we're Harrow, uh, served the end of her tenure and then a new mayor came in. Um, so there's a lot of changes. She comes in with her own ideas and, uh, some of the same staff, a lot of the same staff, but some different staff. And, uh, you know, you're, you're there at the beginning of the planning. And so you have a little bit bigger impact when you come in there. Um, but again, they're working on things all the time. And they're having meetings all the time. So you just have to constantly be like, hey, what's going on with this project? Um, can I make sure this gets considered? So um, you just got to constantly be a good uh, advocate for your community. Interesting. We're going to pause real quick for a message from our sponsors. We'll be right back. All right, we are back on the bonus edition of the Chase Thomas Podcast, where I am joined by City Councilwoman of District 4, Lauren Ryder. Lauren, do you, what is the most different part of being a librarian versus your role on City Council? What's the biggest difference for you? What's the biggest difference? Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I had somebody tell me one time, I I mentioned earlier that I'm a pleaser, that I like Mm. to 
find solutions for people. Um, they pointed out to me, because for me, I'm let down when uh, people aren't helped. Um, mm. You know what I mean? Sometimes with government, when you're making ordinances and when you're, um, when you're making a zoning decision, there's, there are times where nobody's happy. Mm. Like it's not a matter of one side or one group or one entity wins and the other one loses. Sometimes nobody's happy. And so as a live, and, and, and I guess there was some conversation about like how I want people, you know, I want everybody to have good results. I want everybody to love their neighborhood. I want everybody to be happy with their city services. And that's very, I don't mean to sound Pollyannish. That's just not how life is. Right. Mm -hmm. And they pointed out to me, they said, Lauren, you know what your problem is with your day job? You've been a librarian. So I started working in libraries in my early twenties. You have, you, you always give people what they want. Mm -hmm. Nobody ever says, well, I'm really dissatisfied with these, <laughs> this, this literature research at this research that you helped me do. I did not find any articles because if you think about it, you're a student, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. If there's no articles that support your hypothesis, um, you know, that's something that you can report, right? But you usually start from a point of you, you have an idea of what you want your speech to be about or your research paper to be about. Um, when I worked in hospitals, it was about getting the most updated um, uh, articles that supported policies in the hospital or procedures, uh, guidelines for how you do things, uh, you know, how you flush a, a pick line, that kind of stuff. Um, what the nurses do up on the floors. Uh, you go get the latest articles and you do that or you're helping a doctor who's trying to make a decision, uh, maybe do some off label um, meds to treat, you know, a stage four cancer patient, trying some last ditch efforts. Um, the fact that you can find anything to help, you know, that kind of last ditch effort is satisfying, you know, is, is great. Not just satisfactory, but it's great and appreciated. Um, or when you're helping somebody get articles to write a paper, you know, or research for their dissertation or whatever, it's always appreciated. And so that is obviously a huge difference. It's like with research, um, to find like peer reviewed scholarly material to support decision-making. Um, I've never had an experience where people are unhappy. <laughs> so Sometimes at the end of the day, like there was a zoning decision not too long ago. And at the end of the night, I was happy about the decision, how things went. And then the next day I woke up and I was like, gosh, now I feel bad because, you know, there's angry people and there's happy people. <laughs> so that's the biggest difference. Um, that may, may sound strange to people, but uh, it, I, I work at Pellissippi and it's just a great experience being able to help people learn how to find good information to support decision-making. And one thing I tell my students is I'm not just teaching you how to find something so you can, you know, check the box and get the good grade on the paper. You need to, these are lifelong skills that you can use in the workplace. When you walk into the workplace, you don't want to be there and say, Hey, I think we should change how we're doing, you know, this process. If you want to be taken seriously in the workplace, you come forward with, hey, I did some research and I saw that this other institution had tried this idea and this is how they implemented it. I found a good article that talks about it. And maybe we could reach out to them and maybe we would try the same idea. And that you're taken more seriously when you do things in an evidence-based you know, or factual way versus just throwing your idea as the new guy on the totem pole out there. 
Um, and I think that helps them understand that these are these are skills that you take to the workplace. It's not just about checking a box and getting a degree and walking out the door and then looking for a job. So um, that's what I like about my day job is watching people, you know, the, the light bulb come on. So they're very different. What I will say um, is helpful about being a librarian. I know I actually have a, a local friend here now, a tent, you know, that I know a little bit because my sister found on one of the library, because she's also a librarian. Um, coincidentally, I talked her into it. And uh, anyway, there were people on like a national librarian group talking about how a librarian just got elected to city council because, you know, most people are like, oh, you got to elect business people or you got to mm -hmm. elect, you know, this per a lawyer. Um, one of the things that I'm known for and somebody commented to me one time is when we're, you know, we have like 500 to a thousand pages in our packets when we go to a council meeting. Um, so you'll have pages and pages of material to reference and read. Um, and that's exactly what I do. And somebody commented to me about, they're like, Lauren, it's so impressive, you know, how you prepare. And you'll be like, oh, on page, you know, 505 in our packet, it says this. Because we have background information that tells us, and, and it's available to the public on the city website, that will give you like historical background, financial background about how the decision was made or, you know, why you should support something, you know. And um, I often reference that, especially if we're debating something, um, you know, sometimes that comes down to tight votes and you like say, well, I'm making my decision based on this information here on page 505 where it says this. And uh, somebody said like, Warren, you're, you're always really able to like pinpoint where the information comes from. Mm. And I said, oh, well, <laughs> that's what you do when you get a degree in library science. We do drills <laughs> and you, it's how quick you can find information. Hmm. Um, I mean, it's just a skill set that you learn. And so obviously people who go to law school have, they do a lot of research and they are able to find citations and information because they do similar things or, and more intensely. I don't want to take credit as if I went to law school, but um, you know, being able to back up your decision and, and hang your hat on something factual is really important. And so it's a skill set that serves me well when we're talking about changing laws, uh, writing new laws. And so that's where it's similar. But with Facebook, we don't have to do any of this anymore. <laughs> See, and that, <laughs> sorry, that was great. I love that. Uh, yeah, so that's obviously another thing um, that we talk about at Pellissippi and mm -hmm. in colleges across the country and hopefully everywhere else is to base your, 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 your decision-making on facts. And I will say that is incredibly frustrating when things are based purely on emotion or conspiracy um, or partisanship. I mean, clearly that's a giant uh, driving divide right now. Um, it should be based on rational decision, based on facts. Um, so I think I bring a unique skill set where I like look at decisions, whether it be a zoning decision or a budget decision, and say, okay, this is, you know, who's going to get impacted by this? What's the fiscal impact of it? What's the pros? What's the benefits? You know, what's the cons? Not just an, an emotional decision about it, but like really like weighing out the merits of making a decision one way or the other. Um, yeah, that, that is what's wrong with the world today is making decisions based on what's on social media. I don't know. I'm going to have to trust my, 
my uncle Jeff on Facebook.com <laughs> for my my vaccine I mean, questions. Mm-hmm. I try to ignore my physician husband and mm-hmm. go ask somebody out on the sidewalk. Usually, that's usually the better <laughs> better course of action. Um, advice, Lauren, you would tell your younger self when you were still figuring it all out. What would it be? Who, um, related to being on city council or just general in general, general. because you're doing a lot of different things. You're, you're doing different stuff. Gosh. Um, so like regrets in life or whatever I will say, and maybe I don't think of it in my mind is why I say what I, what I just said a few minutes ago. Um, I came from, I was raised by a single dad and he owned, uh, he was a plumber. So blue collar. A worker, didn't go to college. I think he may have taken a few classes, but dropped out. Um, I kind of, by happenstance, went to college because everybody around me was. Most of the kids I went to school with, their parents were college educated. So it was just kind of like I was going with the flow. Didn't really kind of know what I was doing. I certainly didn't have guidance that was like helping me along the way to figure it out. It just kind of happened. And I was also paying for school out of pocket. Um, I worked like three jobs in college to pay for college. And it was literally about getting it done. I had to check the box and get there. And so I look back and of course I work with college students every day and it's like, enjoy the moment and uh, maximize, you know, all the opportunities that you have while you're in college. Um, Because, Number one, you become older and you do all these things and life just moves really fast. But I just wish that I had enjoyed my, I'd taken time to enjoy my classes and really soak it up. But for me, it was like counting off the classes to get graduated. And I I feel like I didn't get as much out of them as I could have. Of course, I'm not rushing to go back, (laughs) take another, you know, get another degree or anything. But uh, um I didn't realize at the time you don't have to go to school full time and push yourself through it. And that's what I did. And so I, if I were to tell myself now, and if I were able to go back and tell my younger self, it'd be like, slow down. And if it takes you 10 years, it takes you 10 years. So I was in too big a hurry. I think we all are. Um, I yeah. was like that too. Um, but for different reasons where it was just like, I really was ready to it. Like it's, it's harder. Uh, I've talked to my girlfriend about this, but it's, it's difficult because like my brother and I are completely opposites on a lot of, on a, in a lot of ways. And my family too, like I was probably out of everyone in my family. Like I was the only one who from a young age knew what I wanted to do. Like I've always mm-hmm. just wanted to write. I've always wanted to be a journalist. I've always wanted to do this. Like podcasting wasn't a thing. So that wasn't something that was on my radar, but obviously it just became an extension of being a journalist uh, in the 21st century. So that's just something you naturally gravitate towards. But like, I just always knew. So I was just really stubborn. I've always been stubborn about following this and then just pushing. Mm-hmm. I was just so ready. I'm like, why am I still doing this? Why am I still, like, I know what I'm doing. Like this, I, I, let's just go. I, I'm ready to just dive in. Um, so it was hard for me to be present because, yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. Because you're always hard. thinking about, you're just, you're just checking the box to get mm-hmm. to the goal because you set the goal. Right. And, and now I'm like, oh, you know, like I was in a classroom the other day with students and I was, I don't even remember how it came up. Oh, I was showing them databases, one of the library, a couple of library databases that have movies and uh, documentaries and stuff. So it's just, I was giving them a 30 minute overview of library stuff. It was like a 1000 level class. Mm-hmm. But I was like, I went to school, you know, we didn't have streaming stuff. Um, I got an email address at the tail end of college 
So I'm that old. I'm not old, but I'm that old um, that the internet was new <laughs> when I was graduating. And the only person I had to email were maybe some staff and faculty at the school and my friend, my former pen pal who lived in California that I met bike racing uh, when I, we met when I was 14 and we're still friends. But she was the only college student I knew with an email. But, um, you know, we didn't have streaming movies to watch. We didn't have, you know, Amazon Prime and Netflix and stuff. And so I'm showing these students. And I'm like, yeah, I went to Georgia State and there was a movie theater and I was just talking about the things that, you know, you could do when you're in college. I was like, take advantage of it all. Like, go enjoy going to the movie theater or sign up, you know, with the international studies and go abroad and do all these things. And and a lot of it is I just didn't, I was so busy working to pay for school and to check the box and move on that I didn't soak up those opportunities and get involved in things at school that I wish I had of. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I was involved in things. I raced bikes and I traveled around the country doing that. But um there's a lot of things school-wise that I didn't get involved in, and, and I wish I had of. My, my husband had a really traditional college experience, and he didn't work because he didn't have to. Mm-hmm. And so he came from a different circumstance than I did, and, you know, he has some really cool stories and experiences. And I'm like, oh, I didn't get to have that college experience. Well, so, he also didn't get to be a city councilwoman, so... It's true. He's, he's yeah, he's a slacker. Exactly. <laughs> Working in the medical field. Um, how boring is that? No, just kidding. I was at the bank today and somebody was telling me how brilliant mm. he was there. Because <laughs> so, they were like, is your last name Ryder? Are mm. you related to him? Like, Wait a minute. I'm more important than him. No, I'm not. He's actually way more important than I am. Um, <laughs> we're all so, important in our own ways. We're, we're all, all important in our own ways. And I think mm. that was the point that you're trying to make is you miss out on some things in life, mm. but then other things happen. And I am... I am very much a believer in all things happen to you for a reason and they make you who you are and they make you make the choices that you make. And it leads to the circumstances that you have or the experiences you have. And if you know, you hadn't done one thing, you wouldn't have made it to where you are. So had I lived my college years differently, we would not be on this podcast right now. I might, I I wouldn't, I wouldn't Mm. be a city council person. I know, you know, I can point back, and say, like, if I hadn't met these people and this wouldn't have happened, this wouldn't have happened, this wouldn't mm-hmm. have All these things wouldn't have happened in my life. Um, and and so, yeah. So in some ways, I'm grateful for it. And obviously, you know, uh, life is good right now. And it's not like I couldn't do or get involved. Well, maybe after I'm on city council. <laughs> it fills up a lot of my spare time. But but then you're mayor. So it's just, uh, I think you're going to oh, have... Oh, wow. Yeah. You're one of those people. <laughs> I had somebody else say that to me today. I was like, wow, you're so crazy. Um, I don't know that I would go that direction. Um, mm. We'll see. That's definitely not my plan right now. I even tell the printer when I go pick up our printed materials for the campaign yesterday. Mm. I was like, I was like 45 more days of this and you guys won't hear from me again. Cause I'm not running for anything else, but uh, you, it's always wise to never say never. So yeah. I won't say never, but I do laugh. But I will, I will interject and say, Mm -hmm. you know, when people say, how did you end up doing this in the first place? I was involved in a zoning issue that funny enough, 10 years ago, we were having conversations locally. It was a little over 10 years about, um, converting quote unquote housing, no longer desirable as housing, i.e. who would want to live there? It's next to commercial stuff. Only poor people live there. 
so it was a it was basically targeting low income housing to convert it to commercial. And we fought against that. Uh, it was about three quarters of the neighborhoods in the city. I'll just say it was very misguided, but it, it wasn't ill-intended and the people behind it were ill-intended. They were trying to create mixed use and walkable like little shopping areas. But what they were doing was targeting the housing that tends to be more low income for conversion to commercial, which would deplete a lot of your housing stock. And right now we're in a housing crunch. So it's like 10 years later, things look a lot different. But I became involved fighting that zoning change because I my neighborhood is, you know, well over 100 years old. And I'm like, if we'd have had a zoning that would have basically wiped out our neighborhood, our neighborhood wouldn't be here today. It would have been a bunch of, you know, little commercial businesses. And we would have that much less housing stock. So I became kind of the the spokesperson at the podium that helped defeat that at city council. And a former city council person was like, you should run for council. And I laughed at them. I was like, that's the craziest thing I've ever heard. Mm, Starting to sound like the whole mayoral run. Yeah. And so then they just kept saying, you should do this. You should do this. Um, And I was like, why would I ever do that? Like, I've never wanted to be a politician. Um, Never trust someone who's always wanted to be a politician, right? Like, that's like the first step is like, do you really want this? How badly do you want to do this? That's concerning. Well, it's funny. One of my best friends from college, uh, he, when, when he came to Georgia state, he, Mm. I was a, I was a sophomore, I think. And he was a freshman and he, he said, Oh, I'm going to be a politician someday. Like Mm. that was his goal. And then his career of choice to begin with was he was a a wedding photographer. He was my wedding photographer. (laughs) (laughs) So that's very funny. And, and now he's a SWAT team member for the DeKalb uh, County police, which Atlanta DeKalb is what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah, Oh, okay. So he's with DeKalb County, not with Atlanta PD, but at DeKalb Mm -hmm. County. Um, But also, too, if you'd have told me 20 years ago, like, what do you think your friend Jason's going to be when he grows up? I would have never in one billion years. Even now, I'm like, I don't understand how you're a SWAT team member for a police force. Like, but that's the whole thing is we all grow up and things happen. Mm -hmm. And I still to this day, I'm like, I don't know how this happened. Um, but, um, he's really into his job and he does a good job and he's very thoughtful about it. We actually had a really interesting conversation, uh, about policing the other day. He was, he was passing through town and, uh, we had lunch. And so it was really insightful, um, because he SWAT, this is kind of a side note here. Mm-hmm. I'm all over the place. Clearly. No, this is interesting. Um, we were talking about things and he, he, I mean, obviously, you know, so I'm on city council here and I'm in the middle of the election. So we started talking about different issues and opponents and things. And, um, we're talking about things that have happened here. You know, we've had some shootings. It's been a really bad year, not just COVID, but obviously we've lost a lot of teens, um, specifically from the Austin East community. And it's been a terrible time. Um, there's a lot of gang violence and the police have been working, very hard to get tips and make arrests. And there have been some, not as much headway as we would like. But at one point he goes, Oh, that was you guys as police. Um, you know, obviously the police keep up with each other and they hear everything. And he said, Oh, but he was talking about like some of the different incidences in the country where, um, police go in and they do raids or they target certain things. And I'm, I'm going to have this conversation with chief Thomas because it was really interesting. Um, 
you know, like what happened with Breonna Taylor. So they came and they um, targeted a certain apartment and it turns out it was, you know, they, they had things all wrong and then she got shot and it's terrible and that should never happen. But he was saying that different police departments have some police departments like DeKalb have a dedicated SWAT team. And he was talking about the difference in how they operate and what they do versus when you have um, a police department where some people are beat officers or they, the, the police officers wear different hats. So they might be part of the SWAT team and they got called to do SWAT because it's not something that's needed that frequently. Whereas with DeKalb, they probably have more need for it. So they have a dedicated team and that's all they do. And they have protocol and they do things in certain order of operation and they verify things. And he said, when you have teams like that, those are the, those are the SWAT teams where you don't see things like that happening because they, they know how to keep things from like, like that from happening. Um, and, and that was pretty interesting. And I realized police talking about policing and reform and stuff is a really controversial topic, but it was certainly a really interesting thing to talk to somebody who, you know, literally wears the uniform and talks about how some municipalities or some police force, uh, you know, they do it better than others because they, they execute it. Uh, that's a bad word. Maybe they, they, their order of operations or, or how they dedicate their teams is different and how they run their teams. Um, and so that was, that was pretty interesting conversation he and I had, but anyway, that all, I went down that rabbit hole just because, um, you never know where you're going to end up in life. And, and, uh, he's never somebody I would have ever pegged to be a police officer. It's also just like there, did you ever watch the show, the wire? I have not, but I've heard people talking about it, but I haven't seen it. It's my favorite show of all time. I would highly recommend it. Um, the greatest story ever told. I, I love the wire. Okay. Um, I have more time to watch TV at Christmas break. Okay. There you go. <laughs> so I'm taking note of shows that I might have time to watch. Okay. The wire only five okay. seasons. You can beat oh. like 10 episode seasons. You can move through it. I promise it's not that long. It's not crazy, but you'll get sucked in and it, it pairs well with Santa Claus and Christmas, the wire inner city okay. turmoil in Baltimore. No, it doesn't. Uh, don't, it's not, <laughs> not at all. Um, but there's a line in there by McNulty, who's one of the detectives, and it's something that yeah. pertains to our conversation, is that, and I think about this a lot, is, like, he gets so invested in solving this one particular case, and it's, like, how he compartmentalizes, and he gets through the day, and, like, that's what drives him to get up in the morning and do everything else, is, like, doing this job. He's addicted to this mm-hmm. job, and he's addicted to that being part of his identity. But uh, Lester Freeman, one of the older detectives, is, like, the job will not save you. And that is something I think about all the time. So whenever I think I might be getting too wrapped up in something or anyone who is just go, go, go on their career and everything, I promise you the job will not save you. You will come, you will go, someone will follow you, someone will always be better, somebody will always, like, that is not how you should tie your identity to your work. And it's just, it won't, it's not sustainable. And you've got to, you got to learn to separate the two. And even though that's like, the, what you'll spend the most amount of your life doing is what you do mm-hmm. for work, but it's still, it won't save you from the other stuff. You can't, you can't just have it be everything. Yeah. So that's a really interesting um, thought and perspective on things because, um, you know, I've had conversations with people in the past about when you think, 
you know, maybe you're ready to leave a job, but you think, oh, I can't leave because I'd be leaving them in a lurch and they need me and I've got to do this. But but the bottom line is in a lot of situations, like if it's best for your mental health or Mm -hmm. for your personal happiness to move on to something different, it's also probably better for your employer, um, you know, or whoever your, your clientele, whoever you're working with. Um, but the bottom line is they're going to replace you. Mm-hmm. Except right now, <laughs> talking about COVID, where nobody can find any employees. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe I don't know. I'm not trying to encourage people to leave their jobs right now because I don't know what people, people are. Though there's a lot of people that have left, and um, there's a really good piece. I think it was the Atlantic about this. The Great Migration is what I think it was. But people are like saving up a bunch of money, and then they're just like, oh, I'm just going to take my chances. I'm going to see what happens. So I'm going to go into my business for myself, or yeah. I mean, people well, are readjusting. I think this pandemic gave people a lot of time to think. And well, it, yeah. it, it did. And what's really interesting is people say, um, oh, like you might knock on a door for the campaign, right? Mm-hmm. And they're like, why won't people go back to work? What is everybody doing? Like they're all just, you know, taking unemployment and sitting mm-hmm. around doing nothing. No, I, I talked to one woman who'd waited tables her whole life. And she's like, in the midst of the pandemic, where it's like everybody's fighting the shutdown, right? Or the shutdown ended. And um, she's like, and the vaccines weren't readily available. There are all these people that come to restaurants and they're, and I don't want to say all of them, but from her perspective, this was her story, that people were really demanding. Um, They weren't great customers. They weren't tipping well. and, And she was constantly worried about getting COVID. And she was like, I decided it was time to make a change. Like, I'm not doing this anymore for people who are not treating me like my life is worth something. Um, and, and so people are like, why can't we get people to work? Like, they don't, nobody wants to work. And it really boils down to they're like, no, I don't need to do that. I don't need to get I don't need that job so bad that I'm willing to get sick or that's just not the work I want to do. I've, I've had a new you know, change of heart of how I look at my life and I want to do something different. And so you're right. It's like a restart, push the button, like life is short. People around you might have died or gotten really sick. And you're just like, what if I'm not here tomorrow? Is this really what I want to be doing with myself? Mm -hmm. Um, So it did. It gave people all this time to think. And of course, everybody went and bought a camper or, um, (laughs) you know, started planning hiking um, or what 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 have you. Actually, so I was reading today, uh, Mike uh, Posner. I think is how you say name. Posner, the mus- right about the the musician. Mm-hmm, yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. Um, which, by the way, uh-huh. <laughs> it's probably be terribly strange to some people. I listen to all kinds of music. All okay. Kinds of music. So he he does mansions with Black Bear. Okay. Which uh, which is a side project that both of them did together, and um, and if people are like, oh my god, she likes Black Bear, that's strange, but I do. And so I was listening, I've listened to Mansions, uh, which was their gig, their side project they did in 2017. But then I was like, who is this uh, Posner guy? And I looked him up um, and I realized I was like, his famous song. I absolutely hate it. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, that song to everywhere you went for like, uh, but prior to 2000, I think it was like 2015 to 17. Like, I absolutely hate that song. But here's the thing. So he just finished climbing Mount Everest. Um, his dad died of brain cancer. And, and, and that happened before COVID. But I guess he decided he walked across the country. So he walked from coast to coast. And that was all kind of like part of his depression. So he's a very fascinating guy. But I guess like 
in the, in COVID, he had all this time to think and he had all these things going on. Um, and so he decided to climb Mount Everest and I guess he's made enough money off music. Like he does something and then he goes and like totally throws himself. So it was pretty fascinating. I was like, this guy sounds super fascinating, but God, I hate that song. (laughs) So anyway, maybe he can do more things with black bear. Maybe. Maybe, but he's a big uh, fan of this podcast. Mike Posner noted long-term. No, I have no idea. (laughs) Well, I don't know. He's apparently chilling right now Mm -hmm. because he climbed Mount Everest. So literally chilling. I, well, he's not on the top of Mount Everest. I think Mm. it happened. He did it in May or June. So that's a hard pass for me. Yeah. He's, uh, he's reevaluating his life, but I thought it was a fascinating person. But the whole point is, is he spent all this time thinking and that's what he chose to do. But he also has the money to do that kind of thing. Not what was the weirdest us. thing you found yourself doing in quarantine? Oh, goodness. The weirdest thing? Well, we made a garden in the front yard. I guess that's not weird. Everybody no. did that. Um, we're not very good gardeners. We're really terrible. So if you walk on my front yard, you'll be like... And I will say one day it was funny. The mayor lives uh, not far from my house either. And she said something about my front yard looked really nice. And I just laughed. I was like, my front yard looks like garbage. <laughs> <laughs> it's very weedy. But um, no, I, 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 I thought I would make my kids garden. And um, yeah, it's not. There's like, it looks like the wilds of weeds and tomatoes out front. Uh, I don't know that we did anything weird. Well, I mean, we were at home a lot. Mm-hmm. And um, did you pick up a new hobby? Did I pick up a new hobby? No, definitely Zoom is not a hobby. I <laughs> picked up a lot of Zoom meetings, just like most of the world. Um, I made my kid make food and chocolate chip cookies a lot um, mm. because, I don't know, it gave him something to do. But no, I don't think I picked up any new hobbies. Do you, do you think your kids have changed based on the last year and a half? Well, they were always addicted to screens. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I do regret how much they are on screens. Um, I think it's fantastic that they're back at school mm-hmm. and we, we ask them to wear a mask. I can't guarantee that they're there doing it. But um, Yeah, I mean, I think this, it's hard to say that a generation of people will be impacted by COVID because I think everyone is impacted by it in some mm-hmm. way, shape or form. It is kind of funny, though, like people are like, oh, is this going to be a lasting change of COVID? And it's hard to pinpoint what some some or all of those changes are going to be. That'll be a fascinating conversation in 10 to 20 years. Like what what were the takeaways that really changed uh, people? But, um, you know, my kids are really into screens and they're really into doing things on devices. You know, we didn't know where things were going when COVID first started and how long it was going to last. And um, my kids got our old iPhones right at the beginning of it, not because of it, just coincidentally. And so um, they're like little junkies. <laughs> um, and I'm constantly frustrated with them because obviously, since I've revealed that email came around as I was graduating from college, I didn't have screens. And I grew up without even cable TV. We could get like two channels with rabbit ears, three if on a good day. So I am frustrated that my kids, you know, aren't out climbing trees as much. Um, and, and I, I will say that I take some blame for that because part of, or a large part of the problem is, is I have like three ish jobs. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not, you know, making my kids, but we, 
I don't make them do as many things as I would like them to do. They get more time to be on screens. Yeah. So, but I will say, what I don't think you're alone there. And I think a lot of people did this. We did do a lot of picnicking Mm -hmm. and hiking. We'd go hike and picnic or we'd get like a takeout pizza and eat at places. Um, we have a boat up in Concord and we would literally just go up there, not even take the boat out and just be at the boat Mm -hmm. and picnic or cook dinner at the boat just to not be in your house. Yeah. So not to feel trapped at home. Um, lots of walking around the neighborhood, but hiking, hiking, hiking. We do lots of hiking. There you go. So not a new hobby. You just had more opportunity to do it because you weren't hanging out with people and you weren't going to parties. Um, so that was our life change. Something about you that most voters don't know. Um, goodness. I don't know. Well, I feel like lots of people know this. It's kind of irrelevant, but Mm. when people find out, they're like, Oh, um, I did, I did race bikes for 12 years. Mm -hmm. Um, and I did, did you do brag? I did. Yeah. Mm. Um, I did brag when I think I was about 14. Um, my sister did it more than once because she would go with other families, uh, other friends. Um, my dad, um, owned a bike shop when I was little. Um, the bike shop is still in existence. I think it's kind of changed names, but got bought when I was pretty little too. My dad raced. And so then when he became a single dad, he like lived vicariously through us. So he had, I mean, he had us racing at little, you know, like little kitty races as soon as he could. But then when I was 12, I started doing national champion or state championships. So I won like 21 gold medals. Oh, wow. Uh, state championship. I mean, sometimes my only opposition was my sister because, uh, junior women is not a deep field, um, probably still to this day, but certainly not back then. Um, and then I went to my first national championships when I was 14 and, um, yeah, I did that, uh, pretty much until I got married. I raced through college, did collegiates, um, won a couple of bronze medals at collegiates, but, um, it's funny. I, I, there's lots of people way faster than me and way better shape. And, um, you know, but, but I guess looking back now, I'm like, Oh yeah, I guess I was reasonably fast. So, that's cool. and I will say the most fun part about now looking back at the time, you don't think anything of it. Cause you're like a 14, 16, 17 year old, you know, girl. Um, there would always be these men on the, cause you could do like the night, the bike rides in the evenings from the bike shops and stuff. And, uh, which is, you know, a thing people could do today, right? You go meet at the shop and you do the 20 to 40 mile ride on the, in the evenings of the weekends. And, um, anyway, there would always be these men and they just couldn't stop talking about how fast I was. <laughs> and it was because it was a bruise to their ego that this like 17 year old girl could literally like just totally leave them. Um, and, or keep up with them depending. Can I tell and, you my bike uh, story? Sure. Yeah. Cause I was going to say, I didn't, I didn't reciprocate. Did you do brag? No, 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 no. My uncle did. That's the only okay. reason I know about it. Cause my uncle was, oh, was okay. really into it for well, a really long maybe time. Maybe for people that listen to your podcast, we should tell them what brag bike is. ride across Georgia. Yeah, Cause if they're not from Georgia, they <laughs> might not know. Yeah. So it sounds more like a military it. thing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, did he, do you know when he did it? I mean, he did it for a long time. Uncle Dave, David Thomas. Okay. Yeah. 
Okay. Hmm. Well, yeah. The he year actually went that to UT. Oh, did he? Mm-hmm. The year that I did Bragg, it started um, at uh, in Hartwell, Georgia, mm-hmm. and uh, in, Lake Hartwell. Lake I'm Hartwell. Assuming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then it ended at Jekyll Island. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. And, and you have so, to camp, right? Yep. You camp mm-hmm. every night and they take all your stuff. So you, you have like SAG support and they're SAG stops. Mm-hmm. Um, and so you load up your stuff on the, the rider trucks. I assume they still have it. Um, I, I haven't looked uh, to see because honestly, I haven't done anything like that in a long time. I will say growing up, Every weekend, it was like, okay, we're going to ride 100 miles, and then we're going to go play at the lake. Um, I refer to my dad as Peter Pan um, <laughs> because he's all about playing. So we're either going to paddle somewhere, or we're going to play at the lake, or we're going to go for a bike ride. And he may not have enough money to pay for the electric bill, but by God, he was going to have some fun along the way. <laughs> um, and ignore, that's why I call him Peter Pan. You ignore your responsibilities, and you do the fun stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess that's that the regrets I have, you know, we don't live our lives that way, my husband and I. And so on the one hand, I guess my kids don't get to have fun constantly, but they're also like, mom, we don't want to go play in the water. We want to play with our screens. And so I, I, I hate that for them. But also my dad never gave me a choice. <laughs> it was like, you're getting up at six in the morning and we're driving to Dublin, Georgia. So we can do that <laughs> for eight o'clock and we're going to do this hundred mile bike ride. And, and that's what you're doing. I mean, I was doing stuff like that when I was eight years old. And so that was my life. And my dad, I mean, he really had no money. He didn't have money to be doing all this stuff. Um, he, we would go for a bike ride and he wouldn't have spare tires and he would be, and he still does stuff like this almost to this day. So he gets stuck somewhere with a flat tire and then he'd have to call somebody to come get him. So, um, he's just, he's a very fascinating character and that is hours worth of podcast. People are like, you should write a book about your dad because he's pretty crazy. Um, we've been out in the middle of the ocean for a week with no ship to shore communication. And the Coast Guard oh. is looking for us. Um, yeah. I mean, like I said, this is not a short podcast. You want me to talk about how I grew up. So I guess those are things that would surprise people is that like, um, that is really one of the best stories people like. Uh, so I might not tell it as in depth, but um, my dad, um, he just loves to play on water or on a bike. And, um, we went to dry Tortugas in a 16 foot boat, which I don't know if that means much to people, but a 16 foot sailboat is a very small boat for three people to be on board for a week. And, um, we put the boat in at, uh, the Everglades national park, I think like on a Wednesday of spring break. Um, cause we were late. My dad was perpetually always running behind. He, you know, was, he was a plumber and owned his own business. So we got down, it's the spring break trip. So we got there like, I can't remember if it was Wednesday, but it was Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, way behind, put the boat in, sailed to Key West. And then we spent the night there, got food. And then we sailed to dry Tortugas, which is between Key West and Cuba. And then we, um, when we went to leave, he had used what, it was kind of like one of those weeks where there was no wind in the ocean, uh, which is a rare thing, but it happens. And so he had used, he just had this little, um, like six horsepower Evinrude outboard motor. So, (laughs) and no ship to shore communication. No, no, there were no cell phones back then. This was in uh, 1987. 
So definite different different te- technology now than there was mm-hmm. back then. Uh, but certainly there was plenty of technology to have ship to shore communication. Just my dad couldn't afford it. So why would you let that stand in your way of achieving your dreams? <laughs> Just because you can't afford it. So the one thing I will say my dad was very good at is we always had food. We were never hungry. We always had plenty of food. It might have been Vienna sausage, but we were never going to starve. Um, and we um, we went out there. It was really cool. We snorkeled, got to see the fort. So if anybody doesn't know what Dry Tortugas is, look it up. It's the most inaccessible national park. And it's a fort that was built for the Spanish-American War out in the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. And pretty much the most famous thing that ever happened there was Dr. Mudd, who treated John Wilkes Booth after he shot Abe Lincoln, was in prison there Mm. for a period of time. Um, It is just very desolate and hard to get to. um, And you can take, uh, you can get on a boat in Key West. Uh, They take about a hundred and some people out there a day. Uh, or people sail out there or they take seaplanes out there. But so we went in our own little 16 foot boat that my dad trailered to Florida from Georgia. And on the way back, it was like one knot of wind. So no wind. And we just had a guided drift. And like one time my dad woke me up at three in the morning and he was like, keep the compass on that setting. And when you hear or see the buoy turn right and go inland. So I was sailing on the open ocean as a seventh grader by myself in the dark um, and that's so wild with no ship to shore communication. And my dad was down below. So we had a porta potty and we had food. Um, it was my dad and my sister was in fourth grade. She was in fourth grade. And there's a really fun ending to the story of my sister's teacher when we finally got back. But so the next day my dad woke up like seven or eight in the morning. So I was out there for four or five hours by myself. Um, which by the way, if you're training, to do like a captain's license or anything, you know, sailing certifications, night sailing is part of it and mileage on the open ocean. And so I started getting that. And there are plenty of people who live on their boats and raise their kids on their boats. So there's lots of people with this kind of experience, but it's not normal, particularly in Tennessee Mm because you don't live anywhere near the ocean. Um, but anyway, um, at some point a crab fisherman saw us and my stepmom had called the coast guard to look for us because she hadn't heard from us. And this was, I think Monday of the following week. So school had started spring break was over, but we weren't back because we were in the middle of the ocean or the middle of the Gulf of Mexico. <laughs> and um, the crab fisherman saw us and he's like, Hey, there's a, there's an alert out for you guys. And my dad's like, yeah, we're fine. And so he towed <laughs> us in and to this day, I remember my first meal on land was uh, Wendy's and uh, we got to go through a Wendy's and eat there. And then the guy took us and I don't know, my dad got the truck and the trailer and brought it down and got the boat. And then my dad, one of the worst things about him is he falls asleep driving all the time. Oh yeah. So as an adult, since I have a very safe driving husband, I mm-hmm. I've eventually we've been married for over 20 years. I had, I was able to train myself to sleep while people were driving, mm. but growing up, as a child, cause my dad, like, he'd be like, it's 10 o'clock. We're going to, so from Georgia, he'd be like, we're going to, we would leave at like nine o'clock at night and drive to the Blue Ridge Parkway and get there at like one in the morning and pitch a tent and have dinner. Cause my dad's like Peter Pan. Yeah. The time means nothing. It's all about having fun. Yeah. You get to run away from your responsibilities and the bills you're not paying. 
you're just having fun. <laughs> and so, um, I cannot, I couldn't sleep while my dad drove because I had my responsibility was keep him awake mm. or else he would crash and kill us. So when we left that, that trip, when we got back, um, I mean, he had to drive back in the dark from somewhere in the keys. <laughs> it's a long ways from the keys to Augusta, Georgia. Yeah. <laughs> and I can't yeah. remember if we did it in one night. I just remember like keeping my dad awake and him running off the road. Um, <laughs> so I guess what people would learn from listening to this is I have this really strange upbringing. Um, I guess everybody has their own strangeness about their childhood, but for sure, for sure. The only person that really understands it all is my sister. Cause mm-hmm. we lived through it together. We somehow, we just, we're unique individuals because of what happened to us as children. <laughs> positive. It was, it was mostly positive. So it was just crazy being raised by Peter Pan. <laughs> so anyway, those are several strange things about my childhood. That's interesting, though. I would read. I would read a book on your childhood. I would. I would read a book on this. <laughs> I don't know if it would be as good if I wrote it, but I'm not a good writer, so mm. you know. Anyway, I'll ghostwrite. I was going to say maybe one day. Be, and what people should do is take stories from me and from my sister. Mm. Um, yeah. So okay. We we both I'm sure have our own stories uh, to tell and viewpoints of it. So there's some strange, crazy stuff. Are you ready for a quick speed round of questions? Uh, I guess so. I clearly, I'm a good talker. I, have you noticed I can't answer anything speedily, but go on. No, this is, see, we're going to see what happens here. We're going to see. Okay. Um, you brought up movies. The worst movie you, you, you've ever seen in theaters was what? Oh, Titanic. I hate that movie. Oh, I you know. hate love. Just lo- you hate true love. You hate dying took, for your significant other, even if it uh, means... No, they took, some, they, yeah. they, it took longer for them to drown in the movie than it did in real life. It was horrible. Oh, so that's you're just mad at the, the actual factual merits of the movie. It was painful to watch. <laughs> Who wants to watch people drowning? It was awful. Okay, I'm, anyway, get, I'm learning see, a lot. I can slow you down. All right. Yeah, you can, there you go. Um, something about... Or wait, what? I, I'm mixing up my questions. Okay, your favorite book. I already told you this earlier, uh, maybe off record. Uh, this the was off record, yeah. Mm-hmm, the onlyest one alive. Okay. It's a very short read, very fascinating. Um, dogs or cats? Poodles. Is that it? you're just going super specific here? Okay, we're going super <laughs> niche. <laughs> poodles. Poodles. Okay. My grandmother had poodles, and I have poodles. It's a thing. Okay, yeah. so you're strictly only poodles. We call ourselves poodleists, oh my <laughs> and my friends will be like, "Oh, my dogs are this." I'm like, "So you have a mutt? Mm. You're like a dog that's mixed with poodle. <laughs> it's not even a purebred poodle. I've I've had rescue poodles too, by the way. I just I I love my poodles. All right, keep going. Your favorite food? Oh, oh goodness. So you think that I guess ice cream? Oh, okay. I don't hmm. know, cake cookies <laughs> i have a sweet tooth and i come by it honestly from both of my parents interesting okay yeah i'm not I'm, i would go the opposite way here I, i'm not a big sweets guy never have been the the sports renaissance woman though she is a she's a big sweets person she would she would uh she would share like she has like this i know she's around because i'll find like a whipped cream 
bottle because she puts that in all of her coffee. It's it's insanity. Uh, she's tried to get me on that before, and I, I drink my coffee black. And no, yeah, it's just, I've tried. It's not me. I've I can't tried. do it. Uh, do you like coffee? Absolutely. It's okay. the only thing that gets me to go to bed at night. Wait. If I go to bed, I get the reward of having waking up to have coffee. Oh, I thought you were saying that you had co- you couldn't go to sleep without <laughs> having some coffee. <laughs> no, but I will say uh-huh. um, I've had people like, Lauren, how can you drink coffee this late at night? I can also sometimes drink it late and go to sleep. No, if you want to stay up and read or mess around and watch TV or keep working, it's like, but if I go to bed, the sooner I go to bed, the sooner I get to get up and have coffee. I agree. I think about that a lot too. Yeah. It, it's a, it's just a, it's a delightful, delightful treat, I would say. And what I will say mm-hmm. is I did not start drinking coffee until I was finished with grad school. Hmm. Um, I got Picked a I bad time. Grad- yeah, I know. But it was because I got a poodle and he had me up all the time taking him out to use the bathroom. Hmm. He was a puppy. He was a rescue. And yep, I was tired all the time. <laughs> So I had to drink coffee. That's so. There you go. Now we know. Now we know. Uh, last right lightning round question. Um, your favorite politician of all time is who? Ooh, this is easy. I love when you ask me easy questions. Jimmy Carter. Okay. Easy peasy. If I mean, I know people say he was a terrible president, but he's. No one can articulate gotcha. that, by the way. Like, whenever you press somebody on that or I get asked for their perspective, I'm like, so as a 25-year-old or as someone who <laughs> has clearly done all their homework on Jimmy Carter and the Jimmy Carter presidency, what is it about his presidency that uh, you, you disagreed with? Was it, uh, what, what was it specifically? Like, outline it for me. No one does. It's just like this uniformly, be- like, it's just a... It's just believed. It's just accepted by it's so many It's just believed people. and accepted. Well, the Iranian hostage affair probably right. didn't help things. And the gas crisis <laughs> probably didn't help things. And I will say, I was born in 74. Mm-hmm. So I wasn't, you know, cognizant for any of that. Um, but as a human being, he is literally one of, like, the best humans ever, mm-hmm. ever. Um, and, and I would say his whole family. I think Rosalyn as well. Mm-hmm. Um, have you been to the church down there? In Plains, Georgia? I I have not. I've been to Plains. Um, Mm -hmm. I've been to the Little Grand Canyon, very Mm -hmm. close to there. Um, Again, remember, my dad likes to go have adventures. So I've seen almost every nook and cranny of the state of Georgia. Hmm. Because also, too, the other thing is, like, for my dad to come visit us in Tennessee is not a whole lot different in his mind than, like, driving to North Dakota. We live really far away because we're outside of Georgia. (laughs) If you're outside of Georgia and Florida, it's like really a big deal. So, hmm. um, yeah, it's just my dad. He's, uh, like I said, very unique. Um, no, Jimmy Carter, uh, just amazing. And when I was in college, uh, he did a book signing at Oxford uh, mm-hmm. bookstore. Uh, I don't know if they still exist, but the one in Buckhead, I think that's what they were called. There was a super cool book bookstore in Buckhead. And I went and stood in line to get him to autograph uh, a book. And um, see, I have a story about everything. Mm -hmm. Clearly a storyteller. My sister had dyed her hair this uh, crazy punk rock red. Mm -hmm. And my grandmother, who I had a great relationship, was really mad with my sister about her hair color and said, "Um, I don't want to be seen with you until your hair is not that color anymore. So I go to Jimmy, Jimmy Carter's book signing. And I think that particular one was a book of poetry and it had illustrations by his granddaughter and she had lilac hair. And I was like, 
oh my God, he is so cool that not only will he be seen with his granddaughter with colored hair, he's at a book signing in the middle of Atlanta <laughs> with a granddaughter with purple hair. And my grandmother was being just ridiculous with my sister about her hair color. So he's clearly a very cool granddad. Um, and um, so to answer this question, I've, I tell people you should check on me when Jimmy Carter dies because I'm just going to be beside myself. It's well, gonna be it seems so like it's never actually going to happen. That man is well, going to be literally every day. That's fabulous. <laughs> like, like he's figured out what Walt Disney couldn't. Mm-hmm. That man just <laughs> everything. Forever. I swear he's had everything and he keeps but, but fighting. See, now and I'm he, really worried. Yeah. You just said that. Like, I know. Tomorrow. Well, I have wood. I'm on a wooden desk right now. There you go. I'm knocking <laughs> okay, on it. Okay. Okay. Because like yesterday, Norm McDonald died. Uh, and I'm just like, brutal. Oh. I saw him yeah. live in LA several years ago. Did you? Yeah, I love Norm. Like I grew up loving yeah. Norm. He's so good. So His I have a neighbor style, yeah. apparently. I, the only the first thing I heard about one of my neighbors posted on Facebook because apparently. He's a comedian and does stand up, and mm-hmm. he, that was his uh, that was his role model. That was his one of his he's one of his biggest fans. Um, and I love the movie. Have you seen the movie Screwed? Yes, I love that movie. So, it's a good one. I love one of the one of the best lines in that movie. See, if people haven't watched this, they have to mm-hmm. go watch it. Is when they they kidnap the dog, and then they they go look in the box, and the dog's not there, and they're like, "Oh no, we kidnapped Muffin's turd." <laughs> I'm not your traditional politician. You see why I'm just on city council because <laughs> just, you know, too much fun. Anyway, that movie is fantastic. I love Norm Macdonald. I might have to watch that this weekend. Your perfect night off from work is doing what? You could build it any way you want. How do you do it? Mm. Oh, wow. I mean, does time nor space uh, location matter. You're here. Let's just say, like, oh, you're okay. here. I'm in Knoxville. Yes. I'm in Knoxville. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, just hanging out with friends or neighbors. Hmm. It's honestly the the, the best thing. And I, I don't think that's a that's kind of an answer I would think a lot of people would give because we spent the last year plus not hanging out with our friends as mm-hmm. much. So, like. My neighborhood is very active and people in my community that, you know, they have like backyard cookouts or we, we do things in the park. Like we do an ice cream social. We haven't done that stuff. Everything's been canceled. You and I are very, are wired very differently because I, I joke with friends and they would joke with other people be like, Chase was built for the pandemic and quarantine. He was built for oh, this. You hang out by yourself. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I, all my stuff is like individual. Like I, my writing, my reading, like I was built, like I would go to just different parks and, just hang out on hang my, out. like, build, build my own little picnic situation, have some coffee, some yeah. water bottle, build a little hammock, and I would just read and take notes all day. And I, I was unfazed. Outside of the lack of sports to watch, like, I was very much unfazed. And uh, that, that is my natural. I'm far more of an introvert than I think a lot of people would assume because I host a podcast where I talk to people every day. But no, this is, so uh, yeah. I, I think I have to do both. Mm. Um, for me, it's both. But also, too, like, I miss my friends right now. Um, so I got elected in 2017 and my I, on a Tuesday, and my best friend moved to Ohio um, on Friday that same week. And so prior to the pandemic, we were going up there to visit her constantly. Um, she's also had cancer. Um, she's in remission right now. I think, I think it's safe to say she's off chemo for the first time in years. Um, but... Uh, COVID, I haven't been able to go visit her and hang out 
And so that kind of stuff. But I will say I do do a lot of stuff by myself too. So uh, I'm, I'm cool with like going and sitting up at the lake mm. and um, just watching the sun go down and uh, reading or having a drink or doing something on my laptop. And I'm, ha- I'm happy to do that. Oh, what's your go-to drink? Oh, um, go-to, first thing that comes to mind is Jack and Coke. Oh, okay. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't like wine. It's very strange to most people. Hmm. Everybody wants to give you wine. I'm like, no, it's, it's okay. You don't need to. Okay. <laughs> don't really like that. Just can't get into it. Well, there you go. Lauren, I, I'm out of questions for you. Actually, no. I have one more question for you. It's not even pertaining to this this interview. It's just a personal question. Okay. Uh, how, where do I go to get uh, to get a sign for my yard? Where do I... How does this oh. work for me? Well, um, mm-hmm. for, we have an office at 428 East Scott. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we typically have signs outside that you can just grab one. Um, I'm not sure if there are any out there right at this moment, but I better put some out because I answered that question on social media that way. Um, and the other thing is, is if you just message or text your address, we have delivery people that will take oh, care of it. There you go. I I'm, I'm here for this. Yeah. So you just, you don't have to give me your address on air. You can message it to me and, uh, well, I put it in the spreadsheet and then it should appear. That's cool. Just like magic. Yeah. I like it. Yeah. And, and that's what I will say um, as a f- closing thought on that is that campaigns are not about one person. Mm-hmm. They are literally a team effort. Uh, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, no elected official happens by themselves. There's there's so many people that go into it. Um, there's paid people, but there's a lot of volunteer effort that makes an elected official, no matter whether it's, you know, dog catcher or president. It's just amazing. Uh, that's one thing I've learned about this process is what all goes into it and how many people it takes to make an elected official. Behind every great politician is a great podcaster. People forget that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I will make sure some people know about this podcast because I know people that like to geek out and, and and listen to podcasts, especially local politics. Well, there you and go. So, then they will like yeah. this. I think they like our conversation. I believe you didn't make me talk about sports that I don't know about. Mm-hmm. And uh, there you go. All you so. have to say is go Vols. How is your Rocky Top? Like, just go Vols, VFL. Like you, I can say go Vols. <laughs> but I don't know that you want me to sing Rocky Top. No, I don't think anybody <laughs> wants anybody to sing Rocky Top, really. It's only appropriate in one instance. And it's when Tennessee's playing in the stadium. And it's it's delightful. Um, when it's loud and rocking, like it has been the last couple weekends, it's been a blast. Um, um, I've mm. been to a couple of games. I was actually invited to go to last weekend's game, but um, sadly, I had already a meeting. And it was funny. My friend goes, "Well, that's a strange time to have a meeting." <laughs> <laughs> I know, but it's it's what the person picked. Well, there you go. They wanted to, they wanted to have a meeting at twelve thirty, and the game started at twelve. So I didn't get to go to the game. Well, you didn't miss much. Tennessee lost. Um, <laughs> it was it was rough. Well, As someone who was sad. there, it was it was quite rough, but it was fun. It was fun. It was also super long. It was like a four and a half hour game. Um, Lauren, when can people vote? How do people keep up with your campaign? And how do they show their support and all of that good stuff because over the next we several talk weeks? About platform or anything? Mm-hmm. We got to know background stuff about me. Um, so the, the, the campaign to keep up with things, social media is one good place. So, uh, all my social media and my website is vote Lauren Ryder, 
uh, the website's .com, vote Lauren Ryder. Oh, and the other important thing is it's Ryder like bike rider. Mm -hmm. It's not like a truck. (laughs) Um, So my mother-in-law is like, we don't move things. Um, It's just easier to say like bike rider. Mm -hmm. So, um, yep, that's how you can keep up with things. Voting, early voting starts October 13th and runs through the 28th. And we love early voters. We love them. They're the best. They are the best. Um, They are the best. Um, I live in precinct 11. um, And actually other people in other precincts are the same way. There's a lot of people, the closer they live to their voting location, they really are resistant to early vote. They like to vote on election day, which is November 2nd. Um, and that's because people love, a lot of people have their process. They're like, I walked the polls and I do this and I do that. Um, and our precinct 11 is very famous for the church that it's in. They set up a table and give away cookies, but COVID apparently has crushed that. So, Mm. so, and actually I will say, this is a sad thing. One of the um, church members there that was always one of the people that gave out cookies. He, he did. I didn't even think about this till just now talking. He passed away really early in COVID from COVID. So, Ugh. yeah, but, uh, he was, he was a very elderly gentleman. He was so nice and so amazing. And he was always at the church and just a, an amazing, uh, volunteer there that was there. The, the church where we vote has a lot of community meetings and he was always there. So sad. Sorry. Such a depressing thing, but voting, October 13th through the 28th um, and November 2nd for election day. And I will say city elections, like I said at the top of the podcast, I think they're really important. More people need to pay attention because it's literally the sidewalks you put your feet on, the streets that you drive on, um, the fire and the police that protect you, um, you know, the parks that you enjoy to go plan your picnic and read your book in um, or enjoy, you know, the river. And, um, you know, having more of them or making sure these things continue and stay and make this a great city. Those are, those are the things that happen. But less than 10% of the populist votes in electoral, local elections. Keep up with it, folks. I promise local politics is important and it will take an interest in you. It's a very important thing. And I am... Uh, I'm just grateful that you made the time on this on this very podcast. So all my local Tennesseans, Knoxvilleans, that's what they call them. They love it, Knoxvilleans. Uh, make sure to go vote as Lauren runs unopposed in this election. This one. <laughs> well, you're really going to get yourself in trouble. <laughs> that was a good one. Lauren, thank you so much. You're welcome. Nicely done, nephew. Chase Thomas Podcast. Hell yeah.